We're going to continue our series on parables, saying in Matthew 13, we're going to look at the third parable about which Jesus spoke. And it's the parable related to how the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And so the title of today's message is The Growing Kingdom. The Growing Kingdom. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 31. Matthew 13, verse 31, going through verse 32. Jesus is speaking, and he says, He presented to them another parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Lord, help us as we study. I think probably the, the best thing we can do to start off this message is to highlight the fact that Jesus is speaking of a kingdom. John the Baptist and Jesus had a lot in common, not the least of which is that both of them said, the kingdom of God is at hand. There was something about their generation and the tandem of their ministries, one being the forerunner to the other, that allowed the kingdom of God to be expressed in ways like it had never been expressed before. Now the kingdom itself had been seen in the days of the monarchy of Israel, where you had David and Saul was the first king, David was the second, Solomon brought in a reign unlike any other, had unparalleled peace and prosperity during his time. And then there were subsequent monarchs that came, and some were good, some were bad. The kingdom split. You had a northern kingdom, which comprised the ten tribes of Israel. And then the last two tribes, Judah and Levi, stayed in the southern kingdom called the tribe of Judah, or the kingdom of Judah. And there was varying degrees of prosperity and peace, but for the most part, you never saw the kind of glory and manifestation of God's goodwill expressed in any latter part of the monarchies like was expressed in the days of Solomon. After those kings, then Israel and Judah, within about 130 years of each, were taken captive or dispersed, one of the two. And so the land of Israel had never been occupied by an, Israel, by an Israelite monarch until now, when Jesus comes on the scene. The last king was a guy named Zedekiah. And that last king was dethroned about 586 B.C. in Judah. And there wasn't a king of Israeli descent until Jesus came. And John the Baptist was saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he was preparing the way for the people to receive their king. And when Jesus came, he set up his kingdom, but he set it up very different than most of us would have thought somebody would have set up their kingdom. In fact, the disciples were all thinking he was going to set it up like we think a kingdom ought to be set up. So, like Jesus, if you are the Messiah, if you are the, the king, then there's a guy named Herod who has usurped the throne. He shouldn't even be there. Would, would you like us to accompany you over to his residence and let him know that he's got to step down so that you can step up? Better yet, there's a guy named Pilate who's representing all of Rome, and, and he's got some influence 
over all of us and indeed over Herod. Would you like us to accompany you to Jerusalem where he's residing so that you can tell him his days are done? We'd love to help. Just give us the word and we'll make a way because we know you come to set up this kingdom. Woo! And even after the ministry of Christ was done, as Jesus was about to ascend to the Father for, in finality, Jesus talked about how he was going to uh, allow the disciples to experience the power of the Holy Spirit and that they needed to wait in Jerusalem for the power that was to come on high from God, the thing which God had promised. This is in Acts chapter 1. And when the disciples hear that coming from Jesus, the first thing they say is this. Is, is this the time you're going to reestablish the kingdom in Israel? So that's all they were looking for. When are you going to physically set up a throne that has political ramifications that helps us get out of the situation we're in? Please let us know that because that's why we bought in. They knew no other. They just thought he was coming to set up a natural kingdom. He came to set up a kingdom, but it was going to be very different than the ones that we would have established had we been him. He was establishing something in the heart. Something that would be greater and have more impact than somebody who sat on a physical throne. Because then he would sit on the throne of every individual's heart. Much more influential than somebody who physically rules over an environment than if he can spiritually rule over your soul. Much more influence in the latter. And he said, I'm, I want you to know about this kingdom that I'm establishing. That, that it starts off fairly insignificant. At least it appears that way to mankind. It appears to be something that's so small that most people wouldn't think the end product can, can ever be anything from that. I mean, surely that can't... That can't amount to much, the way it starts. The kingdom of, of heaven is like a mustard seed, like a mustard seed. Now, I've got this beautiful bowl up here, and it has somewhere in the neighborhood of 150,000 mustard seeds in it. A mustard seed is extremely small, so small that if I were to separate my fingers from the seed that is between them, even so, enough so you could see it, the seed would fall out because it's so small. It's round. And it would roll right off my fingers. Generally speaking, in horticulture, the size of the seed tells you a lot about the size of the plant. Generally speaking, the bigger the seed, the bigger the plant. And the bigger the seed, the faster the plant grows. The smaller the seed, the smaller the plant. Jesus says the kingdom seems to be insignificant. I could make a big splash if I just came in and said, everybody move over, I'm here. All of you give me your resignation right now. Herod, Pilate, Caesar, I'll take them all because I'm in charge and all y'all got to submit to me. That would have fixed a lot of stuff temporarily. But God was thinking about you. He wasn't thinking about a temporal reign on the planet. He was thinking about how are the people in 2014 going to be able to manage well in an ungodly environment when they don't have a representative of my kingdom to, to, to work and do for their good benefit? How's it going to work? How can I establish my kingdom across oceans if I'm physically present here? 
How can I establish my kingdom in somebody's house without there being the, 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 the outward forcibility of rules and order, but the inward motivation that allows people to do the right thing even if they're not told? The kingdom of God is that which is to guide men's outward conduct by their inward discipline because they love him so much, all they want to do is the right thing. Because they honor him so much, all they want to be is the right person. Selfishness gets rooted out because the roots of the kingdom take over. Anger, bitterness, lust, greed, a desire for a mobility uh, uh, occupationally that exceeds or is different than that which God desires for you. All those things become secondary because in, in, in the kingdom, there's a king. And he's yours. Jesus didn't come and say, the democracy of heaven is much like such and so. He's not looking to be voted in. He doesn't even need your opinion. He's God all by himself. And he demands to be worshipped as such. And it is to your benefit that you do so. There is no option in our lives to say, Lord, I love you, but we can't do that. You can't say, Lord, and then not do what he says. You can't call him by his title and then don't have it be his function. If he is Lord, you must obey him in every area of your life. You need to obey him in the areas of morality with what you think, where your heart goes. Before you ever do the wrong thing, it starts up here. It starts down here in the heart and the head. If you can capture it before it takes root and begins to grow to such a degree that it produces the kind of fruit you're going to regret, then you will never have to repent of that which you did not do. If he's Lord, it'll be a a guard over your mouth so that you never use words that are unseemly or unkind. And if they come out because your habit pattern has been to use unseemly and unkind words, then you know how to say the right words. I repent. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Because why? He is your Lord. And you don't mind having to apologize because that's what good Christians do when they're wrong. You don't mind having to humble yourself in, some, in front of somebody who you, don't want to, who you don't want them to see you like you're about to be seen. In a position of contriteness, you always want to appear to be strong. Your pride does not let you do the right thing. See, being, Christ being Lord in our lives means he is Lord of everything. Everything. He's, he's the king of the kingdom. And we need to honor him and obey him and love him. And and you need to learn to be a really good citizen of his kingdom. Do do, do you know who are the best citizens in America, generally? Those who weren't born here. That's general. Now, all of you are probably pretty good citizens. But when you meet somebody who has had the privilege of being freshly inducted as a citizen of the United States of America, 
the joy that they feel when they come out of that courthouse is amazing. And they realize this, I had to pass a test. I had to learn some stuff about our history, about who was the fourth president of the United States. Anybody know? You citizens of this commonwealth. You ain't got a clue. You know the first three, but you don't know the fourth, who is a relative of the second. You have no idea! Yet, these wonderful new citizens do. Why? Because they've had to read about how we became who we are. You want to be a good citizen of the kingdom? Read how we became who we are. Get in your Bible every day of your life. Every day. Don't just be satisfied with being born in the kingdom. Figure out how to be an excellent citizen, an educated citizen, one who understands how God has moved in past generations so you know what he might do in yours, how he's moved in other people's lives so you know what he might do in yours. You get in this Bible and you read every day of your life. It doesn't matter if it's unspectacular. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it jumped off, off the pages into your soul, whether you were freshly inspired. You read because the information is valuable to you so that you can make a great decision tomorrow off what you get today. And if you do not get it today, you won't be able to make a great decision tomorrow. I can guarantee that. You read your Bible every day to become a great citizen of the kingdom so you can honor your king. Honor your king. Two things that I want to talk to you about. Man's intentionality and then the mustard seeds nature. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took hold of. The kingdom is that which needs to be taken hold of. You can't just let the kingdom begin to invade your life by way of osmosis. Oh, it will benefit you more than if it did not invade your life by osmosis. But that's not the way it's designed to work. You can't just say, I can be a good citizen of the kingdom by hanging around the church and calling yourself a wonderful member, but really not living it. Some things will benefit you if you just hang around. You'll find greater protection simply because you're in the environment. Some stuff probably won't happen to you that may have otherwise. There are a group of people, a large group of people in this church that get up every morning at 6 a.m. and spend 30 minutes on the telephone praying for you. We're talking about 40, 50 folks interceding, not just saying, God bless and please, amen, bye. Interceding for 30 minutes over you, asking God's help and wisdom and understanding to be given to you. They get together on Friday night and they pray for three hours. Some of y'all be scared you're going in that room. Because that's the kind of prayer you've never seen before. You say, well, how can somebody pray three hours? That's why you don't need to go yet. What do they say to God for three hours? A lot. And that's why you aren't experiencing the difficulties that you would have otherwise. There are benefits of just hanging around the kingdom. But most of those prevent bad things. They don't necessarily promote good things. In order for good stuff, growth to happen in, in your life, you've got to go through the process that Jesus talks about here of intentionally taking hold of the kingdom, not just getting in the environment of the kingdom, but taking hold of the kingdom and making it yours. The kingdom of heaven 
is like unto a mustard seed which a man took hold of. You've got to grab it and never let it go. And then you've got to do the right thing with it when you get it. You've got to plant it down in your soul because Jesus used a metaphor of a seed rather than a quantifying metaphor as in a thimbleful or an ounceful or a gallonful of, of faith or a gallon of the kingdom. He used a seed to describe how the kingdom functions. And the thing about a seed is that the thing it produces doesn't look anything like it. You know it came from it, but it looks nothing like it. On the inside of it, the seed is everything that it will become, but it looks nothing like what it starts. I grew up in Kansas City, and um, Kansas City, Kansas. And my, my dad was a, was a dentist, but he was also a recording artist in the 50s, and he had some renown. And so when he decided to quit the recording business and take up his dentistry career, he landed in Kansas City after doing a concert, found a guy who had graduated from the same medical college he had graduated from who was ready to retire, took over his business, paid that guy's retirement, had no overhead, had all the clients, and just began his own business here as a dentist. Met my mama because he was offering kids in the elementary schools free care so that if he got the kids, he would get the parents. That's how he grew his business. My mama was a school teacher. They met, fell in love in six months, had me a year and a half later. Kansas City was wonderful. I loved growing up in it. But my daddy, um, his status gave him some privilege in that he got to go to places and do things that other people did not. And there was a team that was established in 1963 called the Kansas City Chiefs. Football team. Still exists. And my dad, because of his personality and stature, got the privilege of going down in the locker room with some of the ball players. And he would take me down there. So cool. I was three, four, five years old. It was so cool. Well, he became good friends with these ball players, many of whom came by our house on a regular basis. And I called them Uncle So-and-So. So if you know anything about football, Uncle Otis Taylor, Uncle Mike Garrett, Uncle Bobby Bell. These were my uncles, play uncles. One was Emmett Thomas. Emmett Thomas was a cornerback. I know many of you women are now sleeping. I understand that. <laughs> he was a cornerback, and he just got inducted into the Hall of Fame a few years ago. He's a fabulous man. Well, he turned out to be, later on, the position coach for Daryl Green. Daryl Green became a part of our church in 1984. He and I have been best friends for a long period of time. He was Daryl's position coach. I did Bible studies with the Skins, came up to camp one day in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and I knew Emmett was his coach, and Emmett knew me, but I was only like five years old when Emmett was around. So I said, Daryl, reintroduce me to Emmett. He knows my dad real well, and he doesn't know me at all. So Daryl said, hey, Emmett, come over here. I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Brett Fuller, Joe Fuller's son. Emmett looked at me and said, who's son? Joe Fuller. Yeah, I'm, I'm his boy. Oh, good to meet you. Yeah, I know Joe. Yeah, I can see the... Re yeah, Joe, Joe, yeah. So, so, like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. <laughs> Ten seconds to try to process this. Because my daddy... My daddy established a nightclub in Kansas City called the Flanker's Lounge. <laughs> Flanker used to be a position in the NFL that we call slot for the most part. And, and the guy he established it with was a guy named Otis Taylor. And so they went in business together. And so my dad, and things happened. That was the club. That back then they were called lounges. That was the club today. My daddy owned it. My daddy didn't come home till 5 a.m. 
My daddy was your proverbial rolling stone. My daddy did stuff that everybody else knew about that nobody wanted to tell me. Emmett Thomas knew my dad real well, looked at me, just for 10 seconds didn't know what to say because nothing of the seed looked like what grew up. Are you listening to me? That's the effect that the kingdom ought to have in your life. When it plants in you, it makes you something you're not. It changes you into something nobody ever thought you would be. But there's got to be an intentionality to take hold of it. It can't be lackadaisical. Which brings me to the nature of the seed, that if you take hold of it, something happens. Though it be the smallest seed in the garden. It grows larger than all the other plants and becomes a tree. Now, everybody knew the process of growth for a mustard seed. So it wasn't surprising that a mustard seed would become a tree to the people who understood that a small seed actually becomes a very big tree, though it is unusual. And what Jesus was doing was taking the, the actual process and reintroducing it to people that already knew it so that they could still be in awe. And remember, this doesn't happen normally. The seed is planted. And remember I said, generally speaking, the size of the seed determines the size of the plant. The seed is planted. And it's planted in the garden. And then it grows into a bush. But a mustard seed bush grows to some, sometimes 15 to 20, 20 feet. That's if the seed itself has the right kind of environment in which to grow. If somebody's caring for the seed, if somebody's nurturing the plant, then it grows into something that nobody ever thought it really could. You don't have a seed this small growing to a 20-foot tree. It's unusual, and Jesus chose this to describe what happens to people when they plant the seed of the kingdom in them. They get recategorized. You go from seed to bush. Now, this bush, you got bushes, you got hedges in your front yard. And generally speaking, they're no more. They get to be three, four feet. That's about it. But how many of you seen regular bushes that are 20 feet high? That's why they call them, and it becomes a tree. You get reclassified when you allow the kingdom to take root in your life. That people have defined you one way and they've seen you one way. Emmett Thomas had no idea that a fuller that he had defined as certain being certain way could actually become what I became. I'm surprised. Oh, listen, all I was looking for 25 years ago is just Maybe about 200 people that could give me some degree of credibility that I survived and made it. That some folk liked what I was saying and the average church in the world is 75 folks. And so I would have doubled and increased beyond that. That would have been very good for me. But God likes to choose insignificant stuff to do great stuff with because the only one who can get credit is him. He didn't choose, uh, listen, when he wrote to the Corinthians, <laughs> he said this, not many wise, not many noble. 
And we use that as a nice little religious phrase to encourage us in the process of feeling like God can do something with us. But the Corinthians actually thought they were amazing people. They thought they were astounding in their nature and that God should choose them. Paul was trying to bring them down to reality. Listen, God chose you because everybody else said no. There are many wise among you, not many noble. Don't think that you are worthy of his choosing. He chose you because you were nothing that he might make you something. And when he takes nothings and makes them somethings, he gets all the glory for it. Oh, when people see me, I keep telling you, when my sister and brother come in here and they see Brett on stage, they just, it's one of these, I, I know him. I know him. That's not him. That is not him. I can tell you, oh, that's not my brother. That's my brother, but that's not my brother. You get reclassified. Seed to bush. And if the environment is right and you've cultivated the kingdom well, you've allowed it to grow you haven't put parameters around it and said, God, I don't want your kingdom in this part of my life. I don't want your expression in this part of my life. You can go ahead and express yourself in church in my life. That's good. I'll take small group. That's good. If I have to be a really good husband, I'll be that too. But I want you to know my Friday nights are mine. My club life is mine. My music is mine. What I do with my money is mine. Oh, you, you, you might not make it to Bush. You might not make it to Bush. Seedling, little tiny, uh, 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 what, what do they call that, that uh, Japanese art of, of bonsai? You're going to be bonsai bush, bonsai mustard seed plant. Pretty, but small. And think about this. How many birds can rest in the branches of a bonsai? See, you're only thinking about you, what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. The end of the parable was that so the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. The reason God wants you to be big is so that you will be stable enough to produce enough big branches so that other people might find a home in your fruit might find a place to rest in all of the goodness God has done for you, i.e., marriage a wreck, yours is great. Dude, how'd you do that? Kids are a wreck, yours love you. Can I, can I get some wisdom from you about that? I don't know how to do kids. This, my 16-year-old won't even talk to me. Finance is great on your side, horrible on this side. What did you do? I, you know, we, we, we make the same amount, but how did you manage it? You got money saved. I, I got nothing for retirement. Branches. The people, organizations, governments, communities can come and rest. That's what we are building here. It's not, even though I've been concentrating on the individual nature of the seed in your soul, we are an expression as a church of the kingdom. We are not the entire kingdom. There is much more to the kingdom than just church. But we are an expression of the part of the kingdom. And we are doing everything we can to grow as large as we can so that the birds of our community in the arts, in the financial areas, in health care, in government, 
can come and rest in the wisdom that resides here. Are you listening to me? This is how the kingdom is to go. And, and if they never come to rest here, may they come to rest in your branches that happen to work in those areas. God will give you wisdom to fix stuff. He doesn't just give wisdom in order to do church right and help you do family right. He gives wisdom to fix America, to fix society, because he cares about people. He wants you to grow big, big, but you're going to have to cultivate the seed. Don't settle for pretty bonsai. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Please empower us to be what we should be live the way we should live.